Well, welcome to another episode of the Presbyterian and Reformed Churchman. I'm Pastor George, and I am excited about today's guest, podcaster extraordinaire Brad Isbell. Brad is a ruling elder in the PCA. He's also one of the hosts or the host of PresbyCast, the um, biggest, most popular PCA podcast, probably. And he's also, I think, the director of more. We'll learn more about more uh, coming up, but that's another resource for ruling elders. And so, uh, Brad, let me just give you an inter- opportunity to introduce yourself. Tell us where you're from and uh, what church you serve at. And we'll start there. Uh, well, let me uh, first say that um, I'm on the um, board of directors for more, but I'm not the um, director. Uh, that would be Charlie Nave, and you need to have him on this I show. I know. I plan on that. <laughs> Yeah, so he's he's the man. That was his um, uh, uh, creation, and uh, nor am I the um, the host of Presbycast because my partner, Resby, short for Presbyterian, because he's a big wrestling fan. Uh, it was his idea. Uh, I hardly even listened to podcasts before we started doing ours. So we can talk more about that later. Um, yes, but so I got um, I got everything I got everything wrong, but I got your name right. That's right. Yeah. Um, no, I'm at uh, Covenant Covenant Presbyterian Church. Very uncommon name for a PCA church. There are only about you know thirty percent of PCA churches seem to be called Covenant, uh, with good reason. Uh, that's in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. It's the only uh, PCA or Reformed church I've ever been a member of. Um, I first attended on the uh, Sunday nearest Thanksgiving in 2003, and uh, joined in early 2004. I think I became a deacon in uh, 07 and a ruling elder in 2009. A couple of years I didn't serve in there at, at one point, uh, but uh, pretty much continuously I've been an officer since uh, 2007. Uh, I was raised wow, okay. r- like every, like almost every Southerner. I was raised Southern Baptist, and uh, at some point, um, you know, I was in the Actually, I'd lived in Raleigh, North Carolina for a while, and because of a family connection, I was a member of a conservative, air quotes, for, you know, 1991, two, three, PCUSA church. So I learned a little bit about reform things there, not much, but I got the vocabulary, which is, you know, it's always helpful. Then moved uh, to East Tennessee, uh, again for family reasons, and uh, joined a, a Southern Baptist church, just a standard you know, 110, 120-member country uh, conservative Southern Baptist Church. And um, I don't know. I think I was in the church library one day, and um, I think there was a, a group called the Den Dalk Foundation. I think they were Dutch, but they would fund Calvinistic Baptist projects, and they um, there was a book by Bill Self, S-E-L-P-H, called Southern Baptist and the Doctrine of Election. And they, ma- they mailed a copy to every Southern Baptist church sometime in the 90s or late 80s. And I found that thing, and that was sort of a life changer. Um, also occasionally listened to um, John MacArthur and uh, followed some footnotes in one of his books, found uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and um, I was off to the races. But by the early 2000s, I was pretty disillusioned with any chances of of the Southern Baptist Convention being, you know, quote, reformed. 
uh, I could see that the structures and the, the worship was a, was a big challenge. And um, I was aware of Covenant PCA in Oak Ridge. Um, David Hall had been the pastor since about 1983. And he left, unbeknownst to me, uh, right before I came to visit there, about a year before. And I showed up, and there was Duncan Rankin. And I learned my um, Presbyterianism from him. Uh, he's a, he's a, um, a Scotsman at heart and a true Presbyterian. And uh, following him was uh, Nick Wilborn, also a, an expert on the offices, an expert on uh, uh, 19th century Presbyterian history, an ecclesiologist. Uh, so I've learned Presbyterianism from two real Presbyterians. And I tell everyone, if I'm not one, it's, it's, it's my fault, not anyone else's. Because uh, Covenant, PCA, Covenant PCA in Oak Ridge is a special place. And um, we, we recently uh, called uh, Sean Morris as an associate pastor. And uh, so it you know, just continues on. And we're very thankful for it. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful church, wonderful congregation. Which presbytery is that in? Is that Tennessee Valley? Yes, it is. Tennessee Valley, a very long, tall presbytery. We run from almost Kentucky down to North Georgia. We're sort of the I-75 presbytery with sort of a T with I-40 at the top. But we're up at the north, yeah. so so we get to drive a couple hours to presbytery meeting sometime. Oh, sure. Okay, so you're not close to Beasy, all the, Ryan Beasy, but you are in his presbytery. Yeah, it takes me a little, little less than an hour and a half to get there, but it's worth it. Okay. Yes, yeah. Wow, I you know, I'm shocked already that uh I mean, I just took you for a long time uh Presbyterian and um so that's awesome because that's you know, for any ruling elders listening to this, you know, Brad to me is is Mr. PCA ruling elder churchman and uh he's he's only been since uh it well in this millennia. So that's that's interesting. And so my, my first, actually, the time, the first time I met you, Brad, you probably don't even know, but it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. Obviously, you know, you're one of the hosts of PrespyCast, and that's important in the denomination. But honestly, we were, uh, we're on a private Facebook group together, not secret, but private. And I don't know if I raised a question or I had a concern, if it was my post or, or a comment, but uh, you reached out to me privately and just said, "Hey, I got some info on that, and if you if you like any uh, help with that, let me know." And I was just kind of taken back by that and moved by it because there's just a lot of great help and guys wanting to help one another. And uh, so you've been you've been a help to a lot of people in that way, and so I've appreciated that about you. Yeah, definitely. Do you remember that, by the way, or no? Well, now that you say it, I sort of vaguely remember it, but that was probably, you know, that was pre-COVID, I'm sure, probably uh, 2018, 2019, back in the dark ages. Just a while ago. Or the good old days. Yes, and, and speaking of COVID, so you are recovering from uh, the COVID, aren't you? Yeah, I guess two and a half weeks ago or something, I came down with it, and uh, just, you know, pains and irritation. Um, several people in our church have it now, including one of our pastors that did recently, but, you know, no real health threat, just uh, discomfort. So it's a different COVID's different now than it was two years ago. Yes. Uh, okay. So how did you decide? So Resby got you into podcasting. Is that, is that what you said earlier? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was his idea. What were your he, thoughts on that? Um, 
Well, I guess since I'm a born narcissist, I probably thought that was a good idea. Actually, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I, I don't really remember. I think, you know, Resby was a good friend, and uh, he listened to a, an old political podcast back then, which doesn't exist anymore. It was called the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And it was these guys that were associated with a, a blog or a website. And he said, we, we need to do the Presbyterian version of that. So I said, <laughs> Okay, I'll listen to it. You know, they had terrible audio. Of course, we did, too. When we started, we were on Google Hangouts and had uh, cheap headsets and all that. But uh, I thought, well, we could probably do that. Uh, but I think the real motivation to do PresbyCast was Twitter was not so crazy back then. Everybody didn't hate each other. And kind of all the Reformed people uh, knew each other. It was a small community. And I, I could tell there were a lot of very intelligent, thoughtful, serious people, uh, but we were all separated by distance and by the internet. And I thought, well, you know, one of the things that would be good about a uh, podcast is, you know, we're going to have call-in shows. We're going to invite nobodies, you know, people who live in the sticks and they wish they had a reformed church, but they want some fellowship and they want to learn more. Small town pastors like our friend Chris Drew, an OPC bivocational pastor up in North Dakota. He's been a, you know, I remember we had a, we had him on a show in the first couple of years, and we just talked about small-town churches, and we thought, this is what we want to do. And uh, and we continue to have a lot of um, small-time, nobody, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that critically, uh, pastors, and uh, sometimes elders, you know, we are, Derek Bright is a good friend. He's in Aliceville, Alabama, but we'd love that, you know, we'd just as soon have him on as anyone. But then we have some friends who are more notable, um, uh, church historians and bloggers and history professors and people like that. Occasionally a, a bona fide celebrity, again, in as much as you can be a celebrity in our uh, tiny little Reformed and Presbyterian world. But... Uh, but we have brought a lot of people together. Uh, we've got a Discord server, which is kind of a private social media with, you know, 120 people or so, listeners. And uh, we can kind of talk in, in private there and uh, not not have to worry about all the the, the, the craziness of open Facebook or Twitter. And uh, that's good because there, there are a lot of people who wish they were in a Reformed church or they, they're in a Reformed church that or a Presbyterian church that's you know, very contemporary or redeemer model, and they're really looking for something much more old school. And uh, those people, uh, I think that, you know, they need fellowship, they enjoy it. And, uh, but we've met, I've met hundreds and hundreds of listeners real li- in real life, you know, not just, not just at General Assembly. We've had listeners who came to General Assembly just to hang out uh, with us. I, and yes, we've, I... we've met a lot of wonderful people, and it's very encouraging. I, I was shocked by that at the uh, at the Moore event at GA, the number of people that were there just to meet you. And so uh, not that you're oh. not nobody <laughs> enough to meet, Brad, but uh, that was that's very cool. And what what you've done and it fits with what um, what I'm looking to do for ruling elders here is you, you've given a voice. Like you said, you, you kept saying the nobodies. And I know your heart is not that they're nobodies, but like guys that don't think they have a voice, guys that aren't connected uh, guys in the smaller churches, you know, so much we're coming off the heels of of Big Eva and all this, the, the, these big mega pastors and even in the Reformed world and the young, restless and Reformed. And it's been refreshing to hear 
real pastors in real struggles, have real conversations. And uh, so, so that's been, that's been great. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask you and uh, if that was an intentional thing or not. And it sounds like, it sounds like it certainly was. Well, we just, we just liked those people and we found out that, that they really spoke, you know, that they really spoke to the, to the listeners when you're talking to a small town pastor or two or three people who are just church members and uh, they talk about what's important to them and you know what they want for the church and uh, it's just as good a content as as anyone else and uh, we wanted to bring people that were separated by distance and experience together and it's you know it's done that i don't know if this was intentional or not too but you've also really given a platform and a voice to a lot of younger uh, teaching elders in the pca and what it really did is I think it's shaken things up over the last couple of years. I remember a very famous sort of tweet coming out of, I think, the 2018 General Assembly, you know, uh, after the Nashville statement vote that had said something to the effect of like, we, we lost the battle, but we're going to win the war because we have all the young guys. And what PresbyCast has proved is there's a lot of great young pastors coming out of uh, Greenville seminary and and rts jackson and a lot of guys are being discipled and they're uh, theologically astute they have a pastor's heart and uh and we're getting we're all getting to learn and benefit from them so thank you for that also well i think i think the energy and the talent is all together on the side of of the confessional guys um and i think a lot of them i think an interesting thing is I think a lot of them have seen that rather than trying to climb the ladder to bigger and bigger churches, that if you get in a you know a nice small to mid-sized church with with a solid session and solid members, I mean that's that's great. That's that that that's as much as many of these guys aspire to, and uh, they're they're they they're seeing you know some of them may intern at big churches or have friends at big churches. They hear about all the problems and the drama. And they think um, you know, there might be a better way, and I, I might already be in that better way. So it is great to bring some of those guys together. But l- let me say this about you mentioned the ruling elders. Um, one of the things I learned, of course, Roy Taylor wrote this at some point. He said uh, the PCA was founded primarily through the efforts of ruling elders. Uh, and, you know, early on, um, uh, the ruling, you know, at the first General Assembly in 1973, there were more ruling elders than there were teaching elders. Uh, and but since then, there's been a steady decline in the percentage of ruling elders. And uh, I, I think a lot were frustrated by the size of the assembly and the complexity of it, but also by some of the trends. You know, who was being platformed in the PCA, and it just seemed like. Uh, they didn't have much in common with some of these, th- you know, some of these things in the '90s and early 2000s. So there was a lot of uh, demoralization, I think. But I think a number of different people have helped remind us that the PCA will not be, will not remain uh, orthodox and strong and confessional without the ruling elder buy-in. Um, I don't know of a denomination that's ever been, you know, dragged into liberalism. Primarily by ruling elders. Now, certainly in the Northern Church in the 30s, you, had, you know, Woodrow Wilson was a PCA, a PCUSA ruling elder, and so there were lots of sort of nefarious and and liberal and uh, ruling elders who helped with this, you know, the decline and and what they did to Machen. Um, but 
um, because I had good pastors who knew church history and who knew Presbyterian polity, they always emphasized ruling elder participation, uh, not just in the local church, but in Presbyterian General Assembly. And I just, I guess I just listened to the things they said and took them to heart. So, uh, you know, I may have gone further than they wanted me to go in some cases. But, uh, you know, that's always the danger when you, uh, when you start, um, when you teach, sometimes people listen. And uh, I like to think that I listen to what they said, although I'm, I'm sure what I've done has been very imperfect. I, I don't consider myself to be a great ruling elder. It's very difficult, you know, if you... Uh, the people in your church, you know, you'd like to visit everyone and, and do things for everyone. Uh, life gets in the way. You know, COVID was tough. Um, you know, you, you get sick, you have problems. Uh, it's just, it, you know, it's it's 100% totally depraved uh, humans. That's the problem with churches, all the sinners. And um, I think from the pastor to the elders to the deacons to every member, to every visitor, <clears throat> So yeah, it's um, but uh, you know God blesses uh, faithfulness, and uh, He gives us much better than we deserve. So I'm very yeah. thankful, but I don't consider myself to be uh, ideal anything. And uh, not every ruling elder can be involved at Presbytery General Assembly. I mean, it's a big time commitment. Um, but I think it'd be good uh, you know, if I would say something to pastors. When you train ruling elders, when you when they're nominated, I mean, tell them on the front end. Part of your job description is participating in the higher courts of the church. Uh, that would be a good thing. Uh, you know, there shouldn't be. There has to be, in some respects, um, you know, ruling elders that can do that and ruling elders that can't. But if we if we if we put that expectation forth, we teach them the history, we teach them the importance of it. I think we would have more and better participation, and we did. You know, this year we had, what, 30, 32 or 3% ruling elders. It was the most, you know, the most in, uh, in 15, 20 years. Um, so the trend is good. Um, I, I think the, the the elders who've shown up um, really since 2019 at the General Assemblies have made a difference and have done good work and I think have, 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 have put the PCA on a better path. Of course, you you know you're never safe. There's always error and sin, and um, no, no denomination lasts forever. Every every denomination has problems, uh, but but I like the the, the PCA's general direction right now. And uh, this next year will be unusual because it's the 50th anniversary, and I have no we got no frame of reference to know what sort of attendance uh, there will be and what the issues may be. We know. An issue that may some may consider to have been removed, but maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. But uh, I don't know what the dynamic will be like, and even what the issues before the General Assembly will be like this year. Um, but uh, I'll try to be there. Yes. So you, you took us in the direction I want to go because uh, you know, and I, and I said this, I think, to you uh, before. But I was a ruling. I've been it was a ruling elder longer than I was a, a teaching elder, and. I remember. Did, did you know Fred Greco was a ruling elder too? Yes. Okay. Yes. Want to make he, sure you knew that. He was a lawyer, right? Yes. Yeah, and I, I was. An so engineer. he had. There was no hope um, for him ever. You know, there was no hope for him from the beginning. That's right. <laughs> um, but but you know, it is disorienting as a as a ruling elder. It's um. You know, you grow up 
reading from these these bigger pastors and particularly PCA pastors and hearing from them and learning from them and you feel inadequate or at least I'm I'm speaking about myself while I was a ruling elder and and just starting seminary and it uh it, it, I just didn't know the history I didn't know like I just thought my my role and my job was to the local body you know and I, I loved teaching, so I would teach. Well, and that's the most important. That that is the most important thing you do. I'll, I'll yes, say absolutely. that. Right. And um, and I just, but I just basically thought the senior pastor he does the denominational stuff. We 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 support in the local stuff. And it really wasn't until the last couple of years, me really seeing the need for for ruling elder involvement outside the local church and it it's got to be daunting because you know y'all have full-time jobs you know <laughs> it's like i i told uh i had my clerk a session on a couple episodes ago and and i said you know when there's a late meeting at night and, and an emergency meeting or a discipline case or a shepherding issue and we have to come in late like if i don't have anything scheduled for the next morning i can come into church whatever time i want i can come into the office whenever i want but ruling elders don't generally have that ability they have a job to go to the next morning and so that that juggling and then really trying to stay up on all the denominational workings and news and issues and also you know some teaching elders can can talk down to ruling elders um and and make them feel that inadequacy. And so I think Presbycast, two things really, Presbycast and Aquila Report. So Presbycast from a, from a discussion and, and talking about the issues and explaining the issues, like when, you know, when you explain how overtures work and you explain those things, have Fred Greco on and Dominic Aquila and, and the guys on, uh, but also the Aquila Report. I mean, that, <laughs> that provides so much news and more and more I hear in my own presbytery, somebody say, Oh, I saw this on Aquila Report, you know, and I'm like, all right, well, let's get, that's getting the news out there. And so those are good things. Before you started Presbycast, what, I guess it was the pastors that you, the, the people that discipled you, who helped you understand how to be involved denominationally. Would that be true? Is that, or did you learn your way in? Like, what made you want to be involved beyond the local church? Well, you know, I think coming in from the Southern Baptist Convention and knowing, you know, the the history there with the, you know, conservative takeover in the eighties. The issues with liberalism, uh, but the fact that you know the, the the work was not done, and it was it was going to be a lo- an uphill journey to to really make the Southern Baptist Convention what you know what it what it could be and should be, um, and so I came into the PCA in uh, in two thousand three. Well, I'd never heard of Tim Keller. Okay, didn't know he existed, didn't know any of that stuff. But I begin to see signs of of the issues and the ethos and you know the methods and the emphases of of evangelicalism in the PCA, and I was surprised to find it there. Now I probably shouldn't have been. Uh, I mean, the PCA was formed by a diverse group. I mean, there were you know there were cultural conservatives, there were confessionalists. 
there were people who probably just, you know, didn't like minorities in their church and they just wanted to get out of this other church. Uh, there were people who were um, basically Baptists who sprinkled their babies, although, you know, not all of them. Some of them would, you know, they were de facto Baptist churches. They would let people, if they weren't, you know, convinced of infant baptism, well, you know, we'll just baptize your teenager when they make a profession of faith. So I don't know what percentage of the PCA at its founding was really seriously Presbyterian and Reformed in, in, in practice and worship and committed to the government. But there were some, you know, I don't know, 20%, something like that. Uh, so I didn't know those things. I didn't know about the different streams in the PCA, the influences, or the figures, really. I just knew, you know, there's the Westminster Standards. And when I went into officer training, you know, here's the Book of Church Order. This is what we operate according to. And... Um, but, you know, when I began to see signs of, um, well, the federal vision was just happening then, <clears throat> and that wasn't that wasn't really analogous to anything I'd seen in, in the Southern Baptist Convention, um, but it did seem sort of like, you know, semi-Pelagianism in a way. It did seem to undermine, you know, key Reformed doctrines. So I thought, you know, I'm Reformed, I'm Presbyterian now, so... Anything opposed to that is nothing I want to be involved with. Um, but when I, you know, again, when I saw some of the more progressive elements in the PCA, I thought that reminds me of, of of things I saw in the Southern Baptist Convention. I thought I was leaving that, and I found out that I wasn't. So back then, you learned about these things by uh, through blogs. Uh, there are various blogs, and the, the Aquila Report existed, of course, back then. And um, I, I kept up. And I would talk to my pastors, and I would probably, you know, right before they were about to preach, I would come up and say, well, did you hear about this? And they'd say, thanks for ruining my Lord's Day for telling me about this. You know, I'm afraid I still do that sometimes. But no, I realized that I had much more confessional Presbyterian pastors and fellow elders than most people in the PCA do. Um, And that's a great blessing, but it also can can be frustrating now you know we have a diverse presbytery and i i mean there are you know those are those guys are christians those guys are principled many of them i mean i'm not saying any of them aren't principled but i'm just saying i like them and i respect them and when i compare you know the quality of minister the level of education uh, level of commitment uh, piety of, uh, of ministers in the PCA to, you know, what I came from. It, they're very impressive lot. Um, but I want us to be Presbyterian and confessional. I think that's the best way for the church. And, um, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not mad at anyone, but I, 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 I think my principles do put me at odds with people, but I hope I can work with them. And I do have friendly relations in my Presbytery. I'm on committees and Served on commissions and all that sort of thing, and they even sort of asked me to be moderator a couple of years ago, but I didn't think, I was afraid I might be moving at that time and didn't do it. Uh, but I'm just saying, the PCA has got a lot going for it. Even even the guys who don't agree with me 100% or that I don't agree with 100%, and I, I, I try to say that when I can. Um, there really are a lot of wonderful uh, churches and ministers in the PCA. Um, but we want to be we want to be as good as we can be. You know, we want to be. I think the way to uh, preserve doctrine and to protect sheep is to be Presbyterian. 
and to be confessional and to take those things seriously. And there's plenty of options for people who don't really want to be Presbyterian or who who, who aren't fully committed to our doctrines. Um, there's plenty of good places for those people to be, uh, but but the PCA should be, uh, I think, it should be conservative and and uh, uh, mission minded and uh, confessional and uh, faithful to its order. You know, I was teaching a new members class yesterday, and uh, I just saw these, you know, I saw people, the light come on in people's people's faces. These people had come in from Baptist churches and had been through a whole variety of churches, and I said. Presbyterianism protects you. Um, you know, the buck doesn't stop at the edge of the church property. You've got someone to appeal to. You've got the presbytery. Uh, you can appeal to the, you know, the General Assembly by way of the Standing Judicial Commission. We're not perfect. It doesn't always work right. But, but Presbyterianism, Presbyterianism ought to protect the doctrine you hear. Uh, the kind of worship you're asked to participate in, and if when if there's a discipline issue or you have a problem with the session or the pastor, there's somewhere to go um, besides the session and the pastor. And it's for you. It's good for you. And I've seen it. I've seen it fail, but I've seen it succeed many times too. Yes. Yeah. Well, and and I love it as a I love it as a teaching elder as a pastor because. You know, there, there's a lot of times congregants will come up and they'll want to ask to do something or start a ministry or can they do X, Y, Z. And it would be very easy for me to say no <laughs> when I know the answer is an obvious no. But it's so it feels so much more secure for me to say, well, let me talk to the session. And then this, I can come back and say the session said no. <laughs> you know, in other words, it, it's not it doesn't become a George thing. It becomes a. Men deliberated, talked, and prayed. Wisdom in a multitude of counsel made a decision together, and and it's not it's not the pastor, you know. <laughs> so I, I've enjoyed that, and I'm not a guy who's afraid to make decisions, but I too have seen the lights turn on for a lot of people, especially for people who have been abused in other churches or denominations, or uh, you know, our structure is is very helpful, and I like. Uh, you know, you mentioned confessional, you mentioned conservative, and those are discussions I've been having lately because I would say it's only the last couple of years through G the GRN and, and again through Pre Presbycast and interfacing with guys that I've realized there really is a difference between being conservative and confessional. I mean, we love conservative guys, and a few years ago I wasn't, I would have been conservative and not confessional, you know, and that's a hard distinction to make. I think there's a lot of conservatives in the PCA that will stand against revoice and side B and CRT and these sort of cultural infiltrations into the denomination. And it's good that we're, you know, we, we have those, but being confessional is more than saying, I agree with the doctrines in the confession. And it's a hard thing for people to wrap their mind around. And I even saw on Twitter, somebody uh, I think Steven Spinnenweber had posted something about a joke, like when you're asked what your philosophy of ministry is in, in an ordination exam, just say the Westminster standards. And another teaching elder bristled at that. Are you saying the the Westminster standards are a philosophy of ministry? And my my thought is, yeah, more and more, I, I do think that that's what they are. An understanding of what's of the system of doctrine contained in there undergirds a philosophy of ministry. 
what, what do you think about some of those distinctions between conservative and confessional? Well, of course, conservative or, you know, the C word, as I like to say, it's, it's tainted with political and social issue connotations. And, you know, it's, it's, it's Fox News. But when I say conservative, I mean, um, you know, there's a political thinker named uh, a Jew, Jewish guy named Yoram Hazoni. I think he wrote he wrote a book. I think it's just called Conservatism. I don't remember the subtitle, but he defines conservatism in a way that I think we can apply to say that conservatism is confessionalism, because conservatism is simply guarding and trying to pass on a good thing, you know, the deposit that you've received. Um, and you know, when you look at you look at Calvin. And Knox and a lot of those guys, you know, that are 500 years ago, I don't know. To me, it's just a, and I don't know much about, you know, Bernard of Clairvaux and and Augustine and some of the, some of the good uh, medieval uh, guys that 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 Luther and Calvin and others drew upon. I, I don't know all that stuff, but how so quickly Calvin and, and those guys came up with an almost fully formed system of doctrine. That we haven't improved on, and then yes. and then Knox, of course, Knox was more responsible for Presbyterianism per se. Although you see it with Calvin, you know, I mean, it, mm. you know, when you lived in city states that had formerly been part of the Roman Empire, that's different. You know, the churches there are just not going to look the same. Um, they're not going to relate to each other in the, in the same way. But you you don't change something that's biblical uh, and that, that is stood the test of time without really good reason. Uh, we can't improve on 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 the Presbyterianism, I don't think, that, that we receive from Knox and from the Continental Reformers. I just you don't change you know, Calvin on his deathbed is said to have said and it's it's translated variously, but I I think I've got it pretty much exactly here. He said, All change is dangerous and sometimes harmful. He says, I, I don't tell you not to change things just so that my way may be established, um, but just because it's just very precarious, you know, it's just dangerous to change, that people demand novelty, people want change, but it's not what they need. So that's conservatism. Um, we can't improve, I don't think, on 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 the, the Westminster standards. Uh, we should we should cling to that. We should be, I mean, e- even in as much as that's tradition. And I, I'm the farthest thing from a Roman Catholic, but there is value to tradition. I mean, to traditional worship, uh, to what you might be called conservative worship as opposed to contemporary. I mean, if we uh, you, you see the virtues of simplicity and portability, cross cultural uh, nature of reformed worship. Um, it's not just about government, you know, government, doctrine, worship, all those things, to, you know, life, all those things. Um, I don't think we've improved upon what, what was handed down to us uh, from, from Geneva to, um, uh, to, to Scotland, to the colonies, to, to the, you know, the earlier centuries in the, in the U.S. Even the Southern Church, with all of its problems, was was just a was a was a wonderful Presbyterian church, and really the the Southern Presbyterians of the 19th century did as much to preserve and explain and expound and defend Presbyterian church government as anyone. 
and uh, we should value that. I think. So yeah, that's conservative. We're, we have something to you know, you know, conserving something bad is is as bad as changing for change's sake. But we we have something good. We don't have to worry about that. Yes. Yeah. So, do you, what do you think? I'm not that we need to ascribe fault, but why why is that tradition not been preserved well in the PCA? And and just to add on to that. You know, I, I often have discussions with people that are angry about the progressive uh, wing of the denomination, and then they start talking about their worship. I'm like, well, obviously, you've never been in their worship. Yeah, there's certain things that we both know we would disagree with, but a lot of them have a very sort of high liturgy, and they've they've adopted very Anglicanized uh, liturgy, and and so what? Why why do you think that's happened, and why has just ordinary means of grace presbyterian liturgy not been preserved in the pca why do you think that is well that's a that's a good question uh i think the southern southern church had you know especially in the 19th century had worship that we would recognize as presbyterian it would be very similar to ours you know my own pastor often says you know, I think if Calvin was dropped into our church, he would he would understand exactly what we were doing. He would recognize the forms and the elements. And but I think we sort of let ourselves be gaslit into thinking that the early church looked like you know Roman Catholic worship of today right away, and that just wasn't the case. Uh, use of instruments, uses use of images for centuries was 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 banned. Not just you know tolerated; it was banned. Um, the early church is not what we always think it to be, um, and I think there's there's a good case to be made that the worship and government of the early church was a lot more like what you know ordinary means of grace Presbyterianism than we than we know it is. Now that's not the only argument for it, um, but we should be confidently Presbyterian because you know uh, Calvin was not trying to invent something new. If you read Calvin, he he believed he was recovering the worship of the fathers, meaning the early church fathers and the early churches. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that there was all sorts of error. I mean, you know, while Paul the Apostle was on the earth, he had all all the problems he had continued and grew. Um, Sin doesn't change. Uh, You know, our hearts are idol factories, as as Calvin said. But we can find all the elements of, of, of... confessional presbyterianism in in the bible and we find it even in uh, parts of the early church so we should be confident um, with that but i think the reason the reason what we would call ordinary means of grace is not enough i think some of it's some of its historical ignorance um some of its you know pragmatism trying to appeal to a certain demographic um, some of it's just evangelicalism. Um, uh, people, people talk about progressives and and conservatives in the PCA. I like to talk about Presbyterians and evangelicals. Um, yes. You know, you you can be an evangelical with a with a high church liturgy. Um, if you're doing what you're doing for pragmatic reasons, or you don't really know why you're doing it, and I was looking at a couple of churches today, and somebody called one to my attention. There. And if you showed their liturgy to Anglicans, 
they would say, this is just a mess. This is just a hodgepodge. This has just been assembled by someone. Um, but it seems very high and liturgical. Mm. One had a 20-page worship um, bulletin, and the other had a 25-page worship bulletin. And it's just this sort of, um, I don't know, there's a lot of just preference involved and just pulling things out of the air. Uh, this kind of, it's its really, I think it's really the, the air of uh, the emergent church where they talked about ancient future. Uh, and, and you know, it's a reaction against evangelicalism in some ways. But I think in some ways it's just, it's just, um, it's just, it's revivalism sort of uh, gussied up and made more classy in some ways. Uh, so I, I think we should be Presbyterian and confessional, and uh, and then that that takes care of, that takes care of a lot of things. So do you have any? What advice do you have for ruling elders who uh, re- recognize some things don't smell right <laughs> in their church, but? You know, every church becomes its own, you know, has its own DNA and, and, and there has to be a process, right? You're not going to take a church that isn't used to Presbyterian and Reformed confessional ordinary means of grace worship and suddenly get them there. And there's a lot of pain and hurt if you do it wrong. And so what advice do you have for ruling elders that might be hearing this? And again, like as ruling my my hope for this podcast is ruling elders that aren't engaged. I mean, we know a lot of them that are and they're on the forums with us and stuff, but but I'm hoping this gets shared and and it equips ruling elders and they're going to stumble upon this and say, "Wow, like yeah, I I would like us to move in that direction." What what's your would your advice be? Well, I say you may have to educate yourself. Um you know, they're the, a really good book. You know, when when I did officer training, this is as a deacon. I, I got a stack of books about a foot a foot high, <laughs> and it, everything was in there. But one of the one of the most well the two most important to me, making me a Presbyterian and actually giving me confidence in Reformed theology, which led you know pretty shortly to to embracing covenant theology, infant baptism, all those things you know fully, which can be hard for a Baptist. But one I think was the uh, the Apostolic Church, which is it. I think that's by Witherow, or it may be, anyway, that's just an old, thin book on Presbyterianism. Um, but that was very powerful. But um, Terry Johnson's book on Reformed Worship was probably the most important book that I read. And really, what it what it showed me was that Presbyterianism is biblical, and that there's a, there's a biblical way to worship. Um, so, I would say to ruling elders... Learn about Presbyterianism and learn about Reformed worship, even if you can't, you're not going to see those things just the way you want them. Because, you know, the way you understand them now, you're going to understand them better in two, three, four years or ten years. It doesn't all come at once. But read those good books. uh, Become a real Presbyterian yourself. Become principally committed. Uh, Worship is extremely important in maintaining doctrine. Um... Biblical worship and should go with with regard for the Bible. You know, if you believe the Bible's true, you ought to believe that it tells you how to order the church and how to worship. So that's sort of you know, it's not Reformed theology. I mean, theology is theology, but 
It's more than the five points of Calvinism, as we know, but it's more than the Westminster Confession of Faith. What, what, what holds it all together is proper worship, which is outlined in our BCO and in, our, uh, in the Confession of Faith and the catechisms, but they all reinforce one another. Um, proper worship uh, reinforces uh, proper doctrine. Um, the doctrine of God, I think, I mean, our conception of God is very much colored by the way we worship. Um, and, and you know, we're, we're our, what we think about God is absolutely dependent on how we worship. Um, so even if you're the only person in your church that sort of has a high view of worship, um, you know, just model that. Uh, you know, don't be a... Don't be a jerk. Don't uh, don't try to ram it down anyone's throat. But you can, you know, every ruling elder is going to get to teach Sunday school, right? I mean, you never have enough people to teach Sunday school. You're going to get to do that. Volunteer to teach the new members class. Um, talk to people, and um, you just have to become uh, you, you have to become personally convicted and assured that these things are right. And then you know, we did a show with Ryan Ryan Beasy. Uh, a couple, few months ago called Confident, I think it was something about Confident Presbyterianism. And it got a lot of downloads. I don't know, I don't know where that got shared or who did it. Uh, but I think it was a good show. And uh, so to, to become confident and um, assured of what you believe, that's the first step. And then you just you take the long view. Now, you know, our society is very mobile. People don't stay in one place the way they used to. There's a lot of pastoral turnover. Um, but you know, I'd also say if you want to if you want to influence the church, uh, get on the pulpit committee when it's time to call a new minister. And now sometimes it's just the set. You know, it can be just the session in the PCA, but that's up to the congregation. But you know, uh, get on the pulpit committee, get good people on there, and um, go find a minister who's a Presbyterian, and uh, he he may that that may be a good thing. Uh, so uh, yeah, that that's my advice is just uh, no, be patient. I mean, trust. I mean, be thankful. But, you know, I, no church is perfect, and I tell people who are disgruntled, look around. You know, be thankful. Compare compare your church to all the other. Go, you know, do that. Go ahead and compare them, and you're going to find probably if you're in a PCA church that you've got a lot to be thankful for, and you're not going to do better. And it's worth working on long term, little by little. Uh, on your church, I mean, again, I, I'm I'm, re- I'm very blessed with the church that I you know landed in by God's grace and because of His sovereignty and timing. Uh, it's not going to be that easy for everyone. It's not going to be, but but the, you know the resources are out there. Uh, there's fellowship. Um, it's easier to connect than ever before. And uh, you know, I would tell people, don't cut and run. Don't church shop. You know, you know, officers especially should not be church shoppers. Uh, we need to commit and serve and uh, and do what's you know and do the right thing, but be patient and uh, and be thankful. That's what you know. If sometimes if 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 one of our pastors over this is over the years, this stretches all of our ministers and pastors. You know, pastors get down. They get disgruntled. They get they become unhappy. And I've said to our ministers before, okay, who's got a better, you know, session than you in the PCA? And they'll say, well, nobody. I say, who's got a better congregation? You know, the doctrinal level of our congregation and the way people live and the way they give. I mean, you know, I think our church gives at a much higher level than most churches. We just need to remind ourselves uh, how good we've got it. 
in many cases, and uh, be and be thankful, be be content, and uh, if you're thankful and content, maybe 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 someone else will be too. No, oh, that that's a good word. I mean, I and 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 I'm you know with you and and Sean there as a TE. I'm sure it's a great session, but I still think my session's the best. <laughs> uh, oh, good. I hope so. Yeah. Oh, you know oh that's what goodness. you want. I, uh, I mean, listen. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I know. There are there are many great sessions, um, and I think most churches um, uh, it can be really good, stable, happy places. Uh, my observation from talking to people and over the years is that the toughest churches are are there that are either some combination of big, wealthy, or old. And if you have any, any two of those factors, you know there, there's going to be factions and, and stresses in there that that don't exist in a small. You know, be happy in a church of a hundred, of eighty, or a hundred, or a hundred and fifty, or two hundred, because you know those churches. Or human scale, they're small enough that a session can know and take care of the sheep. Uh, and, you, you know, they're, if they give at all, you know, you're going to be able to, to make a living as a pastor. And uh, you can be happy there for a long time. So, uh, you know, some of the great ministers, I think, you know, my pastor Nick Wilborn, church historian, uh, He's told me about many pastors who, you know, we think of them as giants, but they never pastored a big church. You know, they stayed at the same church or one or two churches for 30, 40 years. Um, that's a great testimony, and that's not a that's a feature, not a bug. You know, that's a sign of health. That's not a sign of, of something wrong. No, well, that, exactly. And, you know, we all want to worship in the perfect uh, type of a liturgy. We all want to uh, have the perfect congregation, but the truth is then they don't need us as shepherds. And so <laughs> I like to see through discipleship, through sanctification, through ministry, how people, people grow, you know, and do so in a way that honors the, the history of, of the church and God's faithfulness to that body in our case for 80 years, but also by incorporating new people, we we see new things and new ways uh, that we need to believe the gospel and love people in the community. And so, yeah, I, absolutely. And you know, I, when I say about our session, we, uh, you know, I brag about this. We had the, I won an award for bringing the most people to the GRN conference last year. So that's my that's my. Big oh yeah, it was very impressive. That level of involvement, <laughs> it's fantastic. You know, I'm. You know, I, I impressed. can't wait. So this. Well, thanks. <laughs> but my, my, my theory is they're my theory is they're afraid of you that you'll beat them up. So they, you know, you you just tell them what to do and they jump, right? No, they were super excited. It was so good for our session to do that together, and I was glad to see their their energy. But what it did was it gave them resources because they they follow GRN now. They listen to Presbycast. They share the articles. And uh, this year it's in Matthews, North Carolina, which is only an hour from us. So we, you know, I'm looking to take a lot of people from the church there. It's, uh, you just need to borrow a school bus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it'll be good. So uh, to, I got two more things I want to talk. I hope we have time. One is just briefly. I think you've hit on some of it, but you were able to. You were invited to give a talk at the General Assembly. It was a. Um, I don't know what it was. It was an it was all, a panel. all assembly seminar panel, and uh, 
you know, this one quote I tweeted from you, uh, what you can explain it to us, but he said, we don't need any more uh, Acts 29 churches. We need to be Acts 14 and 15 churches. And I know you weren't saying that to be down on Acts 29, but explain what you mean about Acts 14 and 15 churches as opposed to Acts 29 churches. Well, that's where we see the Jerusalem Council, and we really see the model for Presbyterianism. We see doctrine taken very seriously, and then uh, there being consensus and connection between churches. So that that's what I meant. Um, you know, we can chase trends. And I think I remember, I didn't go back and look at this, but one of the things I think I said was that, you know, we don't need to be less Presbyterian. We need to be more Presbyterian. Yes. Uh, that we don't need to be network in networks. We need to be in, you know, a Presbyterian, Presbyterian and denomination. Um, because it, that's just that's the best way to be. And I think I, I said, you know, true Presbyterianism is not a barrier to any good. It's not a barrier to anything good. We're not going to improve on it by by certain types of ecumenical work or being very innovative or going out on our own. Um, we see a lot of cases of that. Um, and so again, I, that the kind of conservatism I was talking about earlier, uh, simple, modest, human scale, uh, connected, uh, uh, reformed Presbyterianism, I think is the best way. If I didn't think it was, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, you know, I wouldn't. Wouldn't spend a lot of hours every week on on church work, and then of course the Presbycast stuff. I mean, I've got that set up where we do it like a live radio show. Start at nine thirty at night, and I'm done with it by midnight. You know, it's not a career. It's not something I have to spend a lot of time on. But the connections I've made with Presby Cast and the people I've met have just encouraged me. You know, um, but the most important work is the work of of the local church first, and then then the work of the presbytery is very important. You know, uh, one of the things I should say: don't don't let the teaching elders dominate all the committees of your presbytery. Now, you're a ruling elder in a PCA church. You should be on the theological examining committee or the credentials committee or whatever. You know, um, we're supposed to have parity of elders. Uh, some 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 committees can't. You know, there's not a quorum if there's not enough ruling elders. Um, the committee can't vote if there's not some ruling elders there. So I, I don't care what kind of presbytery you're in. I don't care if you're in the most wacky, progressive, out there. Presbytery, if you are a ruling elder who shows up and is willing to participate, you'll get on committees, you'll be standing before the presbytery, you'll be busy because there just aren't enough. So uh, get involved uh, at the presbytery level. Uh, and um, I mean, I've found that you, you can you can become you can become it's not for everyone but you can become involved at the general assembly level too i mean you can make a difference you you can sit here right now and reel off the names of six or a dozen guys ruling elders who make a difference at every general assembly and on every Highly committee oh yes. yeah and they're they're as serious as anyone and they are essential uh, to the church so if if you will um, if you'll get in if, if you're willing there you'll get to you'll get to be involved and you'll get to work and um, it's worth it. I think it is. Yeah, they, they, that's, a, that's a great point. They need, so they need ruling elders on these committees. Like you said, there's no quorum without them. And um, 
you know, I, uh, so the church I started at was in South Florida. Our presbytery meetings were on Tuesdays, and I've said this before, and this isn't a knock on the ruling elders. It's just the scenario in that press. There were, it was questionable on, on some presbytery meetings if we'd have a quorum because there might not be enough. Like we would, ha- we would tell host churches, make sure your ruling elders are there, you know. So here in Piedmont Triad, it's on a Saturday and, uh, and Meadowview always sends our full compliment and sometimes more to are just interested in going, but, they need they need you on committees, and I love that you said serve on the examining committee. And this is a committee, you know, it's called the credentials committee in places or examining, or and ours is called leadership development. But often ruling elders feel inadequate there because they know the teaching elders had the theological education, they had the hundred credit hours of seminary. But I got to tell you, in South Florida, you know who was on the the credentials committee down there terry murdoch was and um and you know you know he's gone to be with the lord just a month or so ago but he uh his his area that he would question on was the bco but he wasn't afraid to jump in on theological questions and he always said he felt like he received a seminary education by sitting on that committee as long as he did because he would hear all the questions (laughs) you know and uh Really, he, he became a churchman probably through that, you know, through sitting on presbytery committees and then and and being around it. And that's a great way to, to dip your, your toe in the water is, is serve on a committee. If you believe the scriptures and if you know the confession and the catechisms and uh, the BCO, you you will be an aide to any exam or minister in his work or credentials committee. And... Um, don't think as if you know a committed, uh, you know fairly well-read, serious ruling elder. Um, don't think you know less about maybe anything except the languages than than, than a candidate right out of seminary. And um, often true. those often those theological examining committees become theological education committees. <laughs> I mean, the committee ends up you know uh, extending the. Uh, the, the the theological training of the candidate, um, and you can look, you know you're going to look at that view statement, and you may see some crazy things in there, and um, it can be hard. But you may think I don't think that guy belongs in our presbytery, and you can vote no. Um, and, I, and I've been at a lot of meetings or a lot of presbytery meetings, not so many since Beasy has come along, but sometimes I'd be the only no vote. Um, and there are certain certain exceptions I always vote against. You know, I just think I, I don't think I think all Second Commandment um, exceptions are exceptions to the Second Commandment. Not just not, I mean, you know, they're not just to the the portion of the Confession or the Catechisms. They're actually taking exception to the Second Commandment, and I don't think you can do that. Um, so, so it's just understood that I'm going to vote against a candidate or an exception of that type. But here's my, if, if you find yourself being the only guy that votes no, be nice, be friendly, stand up, explain, I'm going to vote no, and here's why. It's not because I don't like you all and I don't like this man. Here's why. And then you're not a crank. Then you're not the weirdo. Then you're not just a voice saying no. There's a way to be that guy oh, who votes so no without being disagreeable. Now, it's going to get heated sometimes. But, you know, we've got a very diverse exam committee, but they're all good guys. They're all solid. 
we have a great time and when I get you know when it doesn't go my way um, I'm, I'm still happy with those guys and uh, I've learned from them and I hope a few of them have learned a thing or two from me or have been caused to think about things you know you know you hear about this well you don't know you, you may say something to someone today and 10 years later the God may use it in some great way well, that could certainly be true if you're on a theological exam committee. You may, you may be the first person to ever ask that question or say, why do you think that way about the second commandment or the fourth commandment or this philosophy of ministry? Um, and I, I would, this, this is bonus. If you are a ruling elder in the PCA, um, study the doctrine of God. Um, that's the next crisis that we're facing in the next few decades. It's, it's already here in some respects. Um, but be able to evaluate whether uh, your fellow elders and pastors, people in your presbytery, have an orthodox doctrine of God. Um, it's just, it's just That's the next place we're weak on. Um, and, you know, no basic things like, like the atonement. I think the atonement, uh, you know, substitutionary atonement, uh, penal substitutionary atonement will come under fire even in the PCA in our lifetime. Uh, and just be ready for that and be ready to, you know, to stand for those, you know, uh, for the little things and certainly for the really, really big things. Man, that's so good. Well, Brad, I, I so you, you gave a bonus. I'll give you a bonus. Uh, Ryan Beasy got the call at Fort Oglethorpe over me, and I always uh, he he never really owns that with me, but I I like to um, give tee it up for him to rub in, and he never does. But I it was down to me and him supposedly, and um, and they rightly chose him. And God had a plan, and it was it was good. So, uh, but otherwise, I would have been that person. You're, you're over there in a virtual mega church. So you're the one who really, you know. <laughs> no, yeah, uh, that's Ryan, another Ryan, story how God worked how God worked out. We're not in a mega church, but yes. Well, uh, Ryan's we Ryan's got a great church. I've been to um, been down there for at least two Presbyterian meetings, and then uh, for uh, for a little GRN mini conference. And uh, I think those people love him, and he loves them, and yes, you know. And he's awesome. He's um, a handful, hey, and they love him anyway. Uh, he, <laughs> he is a handful. My computer says it's almost going to die, so we'll talk until it dies. But I want to know about more. So if you could jump into M O R E. Okay, more in the PCA is a five hundred one C three. I think it was started in about twenty seventeen. I got a call from uh, someone, you know, and said, "Hey, I want you to call this person." Uh, and it was Charlie Nave, who's a ruling elder in uh, Southwest Virginia. He's a nonprofit lawyer, so he knows how to set up a nonprofit. He was concerned about the PCA, and he had shared my conviction that more ruling elders from small, rural, uh, ordinary means of grace, confessional, not fancy, not progressive churches would be a good thing for the PCA. So, you know, we've had uh, donors of various sizes. Uh, churches support us. Uh, we we the money that we raise, we give to ruling elders uh, to pay for their um, general assembly expenses, registration fee. You know, a lot of people don't know it costs about two thousand dollars for most people to go to general yes. assembly. Yes. Uh, and if you're you know if you're a ruling elder in a church with eighty members and the budget's tight, you're probably not going to say, "Hey, uh, 
let me go with the pastor, not instead of, but but you know me too. Uh, you may look at the bo- the balance sheet and say, I, I, I'm just not going to do that. Um, but more in the PCA has helped. You know, we've helped hundreds of ruling elders, and uh, you know we'll get blocks of hotel rooms when we can because you know those things get snapped up, um, and 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 you know we may just pay registration for some guy, we may just pay um, travel, we may just pay the registration fee, or the hotel. Uh, sometimes we pay it all uh, when we can, and uh, I think it's made a difference. Now we haven't helped enough people to to swing one vote. I don't think, but I think we've inspired as many or more people than we've helped. Yes, it's necessitated a conversation. It's kept the issue before people. Uh, you know, we do we do some writing, and there's a website, and we just encourage ruling elders to uh, show up uh, at Presbytery and General Assembly, and we try to do a little informational work. But uh, we're a shoestring organization. How can they uh, apply for that? I think just go to more more in the PCA dot org. I think that's the right address. Be pretty easy to find. Contact me or you. We we can help. But I think it's more in the PCA dot org. Well, here wait. I have a card right here. Here here it is. More in the PCA dot org slash apply. But if you get to the first page, you're going to find the application page. So yes, more in the PCA dot org. you know, churches should do the right thing, and if they can, they should send all their ruling elders, and they should pay for them. And if, like me, they don't like the the cost and the structure of the assembly, you write overtures to change that. But in the meantime, we deal with what we can, which is to help people get there. You know, to help so will people. So will that change? Yes, that's and uh, I actually and we were successful last elders. year. We, we changed we changed the ruling elder registration fee last year. Yeah, uh, that was a, RE's uh, was on that to do to help with that. Uh, so thank you for yeah. that heads up. <clears throat> so it's it's cheaper for ruling elders to register, and any church that sends, and even if they send two pastors and they send one ruling elder, we've added fifty dollars to the um, the teaching elder fee, but we've knocked one hundred and fifty dollars off of the ruling elder fee. So if you only send one ruling elder with two teaching elders, you still pay less. The only the only churches that will pay more net is is uh, churches that don't send any ruling elders, or some of the the not insignificant number of teaching elders that aren't associated with any church. You know, missionaries, yes. RUF guys, retired. What some you know? I'm sorry, hangers on. In some case, you know, we have we have people on our presbytery rolls that haven't done anything for 15 or 20 years, but they've got a vote. Um, I don't. Out I don't. I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of that. Um, but those guys will pay fifty dollars more. But you know, a small church ruling elder who's paying, who may pay out of his own pocket, he's going to pay 150 dollars less this year. We hope that's permanent. You know, we the most important thing in getting those those fees changed. And and I'll I'll be honest, Brian Chapel, the state of clerk, worked with us. He helped us get that done. And I hope it sets a principle of of a differential that it it's a tip of the hat to the ruling elder saying we know it costs a lot of money. We know it's inconvenient. This is not much, but it's a it, it it's just recognizing. Uh, that um, the challenge that a ruling elder has, both in 
you know, time and money um, to get there. Well, and Brad, it, it's not it's not like cheap for anybody. Um, we're, so we're you said we're a mega church. We're a church of about three fifty, three right under three fifty. I'm trying to get. Okay, you're you're an OPC you're an OPC mega church. An OPC, yeah. And uh, if if we could just get like ten members, we can get a third ruling elder vote. And uh, we don't have a huge budget, but we're budgeting for next year ten thousand dollars to send guys to general because it, you know we have, we're going to have three teaching elders and maybe three ruling elders. And, you know, the hotels at these general assemblies are 200 plus a night unless you stay far away or in, in some other place. And, and that that gets complicated. And I understand churches have to do that. But it's a busy, exhausting week. It's an extremely fun week because we're just around each other. But, you know, to have to stay far away in the non convention hotel just makes life more complicated but you can do it and you should do it if, if that's how you're going to go but again you got to budget a thousand dollars for a room you know and uh so it, it is expensive and so i appreciate that more and i appreciated that you had uh i think your intern <laughs> md uh called us up and asked if we needed help and that really helped me to encourage our guys to get us two to go and and we didn't um you know, we sent them, but no, that's, that's good stuff. I, you know, I know it hasn't tipped a vote, but I know it's like we sent a ruling elder this year who had never been to GA and he is, I mean, he is just obsessed with following the PCA and the church as a result of it. So you, you can't really put a price tag on the impact of what it'll do to a guy um, when you include him. And well, I should also say that that you say you know we we didn't affect any votes. I don't know how anybody voted that we helped, and we don't tell anybody how to vote. That's not you know we're no, we're, we're not we're not a secret organization with a with a um, of course you know we want the PCA to be healthy and and to be better, and uh, we agree on a lot of the ways that that would be accomplished. But we don't we're not a political organization and. You'll uh, you'll look long, you you could interview anyone we've ever helped and they they will tell you that um, they've not been instructed on how, on how to vote. Um, that's that's not what we're about because we think that we think people from good churches who are um, concerned and sincere we think they'll do the right thing and I think we've we've seen evidence that you know some guys have been showing up and uh, considering the issues and uh, doing the right thing the last. Uh, last few years yes so and you also more also hosts an event at general assembly for ruling elders and you you snuck me in last year i appreciate that and uh but that was that was such an awesome event i don't know if you have 500 ruling elder you know guys there are 300 it was it was just so exciting and and guys really enjoyed it so thank you for that well and that's another thing we believe that you know general assembly can be hard enough and unpleasant enough in some ways, uh, you know. You know, a pastor goes. He's got his his buddies, his seminary friends, um, people he's known for a long time. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a um, it's a lonely. It can be a lonely place for a ruling elder. So uh, we want to make we want to we want to uh, give give ruling elders something to do and uh, people to hang out with and. Uh, you know that's worth that's worth a lot. I think we we sort of feel that our the fellowship we've provided is as important as anything we've done. 
Yes. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Well, hi, man. I, I really appreciate the conversation. I will definitely have Charlie Navon at some point uh, soon because General Assembly will be will be coming up. Why don't you? Uh, what do you have in the works for Presbycast for for anybody who might be listening? What's what are some upcoming episodes? Well, we're not just a PCA show, and we're not all serious. So uh, we celebrate Festivus uh, on the twenty first. I don't know when this. Yes. Uh, grievances and feats of strength and um, uh, we have fun with that every year with uh, URCNA Pastor Dan Borvin who's a great friend of ours um, I, you know we, we we started doing these things we call the Presburg Colloquies which are sort of like debates we've had a couple of them I hope to have another one of those in January maybe on the subject of who should read and lead in worship because, you know, we have a lot of churches where uh, women and young people, unordained people, read Scripture. Um, I, I think I even saw one today or someone pointed one out to me where, uh, you know, a, a lady who's obviously not ordained is giving the call to worship, which is typically not done. We have churches where uh, just anybody distributes the elements, uh, where Scripture readings and, and confession of sin, those sort of things are led by unordained people, um, and again, that's that's an that's an example of where polity matters. Um, it's in, those things are important. Uh, there's matters of church discipline. I really think ruling elders should should distribute the elements because we see who's taking the elements and who's not. We know who's under church discipline and who's not. Not that that's common. Um, so you know, discipline, order, doctrine, worship, office, all those things go together. And that's one of the, you know, when I talked earlier about, you know, educate yourself on Presbyterianism. See how all those things go together and how they all require each other and why ordained leadership, ordained ministry is so important. Um, that's, that's the, you know, that the Guy Waters book, How Jesus Runs the Church. Uh, the title is very important. Are you still, are right. we still connected? You're, you're back. I lost you for a minute, but I had a little speech there. Yes, I. So you know, my so I got a new computer and I've been hooking it up to this existing docking station, and I don't think it's charging it. I don't know how we got a hiccup. Like I said, thanks again for uh, for being on this episode of Presbyterian Reformed Churchmen, new brand new podcast. You're one of my first interviews, and so I appreciate that you're willing to do that. And I look forward to hanging out with you some in the new year at some of these upcoming things. I wouldn't miss it. Thank you, and we'll uh, we'll promote the promote this show for sure great it's a great idea it's a great idea